0: How many of y'all were here last Sunday? Do you remember I said there were three themes in the book of Revelation? What was theme number one? Number three. Okay, tell me theme number three. There was a new kingdom. That's right. A new kingdom that God's in charge of this kingdom, Jesus, and we also rule in this kingdom. That's theme number three, and we're going to hit that today. Theme number one was the old Jerusalem is destroyed in the book of Revelation and becomes the new Jerusalem, and the old Jerusalem is What? The people that murdered Jesus, Pharisees, Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, all right? The second theme was what? Do you remember? Yeah, there was two persecuting governments, if you will, of the church, and who were they? Yeah, the old Jerusalem, apostate Judaism, and the Romans, and what's going to happen to them in the book of Revelation? Toast, gone, and get judged, all right? So that's our three themes, and that's the first thing I want to say. I'm going to repeat that every time until we get that in our head so they give you a feel for the book of Revelation. The other thing is, remember, I'm going to re- remind us of this. If you happen to hold a different view, I don't think you're an ax murderer. I think you're a nice person. You know, we're, we're talking about ideas here. We're not talking about personalities, all right? So let's start with Revelation 4.1. after these things I looked, and behold, this is John speaking. And behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Well, let's start, first of all, with these things. After what things? What's the context here? i give you a hint. What did Steve talk about for the last, what, three, four, five, six weeks? The exactly, the seven churches in, in Asia Minor, Right. And so he's finished with that, and now he's going to get into the revelation part of the book. All right? Now, there was a door standing open in heaven, and a voice came from that door, like the sound of a trumpet. Whose voice was that, most probably? Whose voice was that? Jesus, right. Now, how is a voice like the sound of a trumpet? Loud. Loud, yeah. So Jesus came and says, John! And then he proceeds to talk to him, so it's loud. Everything about this vision is just bigger than life, right? Now, Jesus then said, come up here, and John goes up into heaven. In this book, in chapter 4, he's going to be looking into the throne room of God, and so we're going to get a picture of what God's throne room looks like. Now, when I was young and read this book, I've been a Christian for over half a century, but when I first read the book, I was thinking that the throne room of God actually looked like this vision, And then I started thinking, well, wait a minute, that's hard to believe. We've got to remember that what John is seeing, he's going to end up seeing someone sitting on a throne, God. God doesn't sit, folks. God's a spirit. What John saw was how God chose to reveal himself to John. And so... We're going to look into John's mind, but God is not a man. He's he's not a spirit. He doesn't have a body. So we got to remember that. I mean, we're we're going to see things in this vision. We're going to see a, a lamb with seven horns. That's not what's like in heaven. That's a symbol. Okay, so we need to get keep that straight. Now, that would be a relatively easy verse, except for one thing. This verse is very, very, very prominent in a particular kind of futurism. Remember, I said there's lots of different futurist views of of the book of Revelation. Many people have different views. Orthodox preterists have different views of certain things, too. But in particular, the pre-trib rapture theory is based on this verse. And therefore, since that theory is so prominent, especially in the South, we need to look at it and see where that theory comes from. Now, who can tell me what the pre-trib rapture theory is? and that's true and how long does this period of time where the Jewish Christians are left behind on the earth and the church is taken up into heaven how long is it seven years alright so we got seven years alright let's say Jesus comes back right here at the end of time that's the second coming according to this theory and then seven years before Jesus comes back there's a, a seven year period of tribulation okay it's called the great tribulation now According to this theory, all of the the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, which are coming up in the next few chapters of this book, that all relates to Jewish people. Like you say, they're not really Christians. They get converted, hopefully, during this great tribulation. Not just Jews, but Gentiles too. But it refers to people who are left behind on the earth who weren't believers when the rapture occurs seven years before. There's a rapture. The church is raptured. It's taken up into heaven, that's what rapture means, taken up into heaven, and for seven years the church in heaven looks down and watches all the hell that breaks loose on the earth while the church is jerked out of it. So the church does not have to go through the judgments that are in the book of Revelation. That's the theory. That is very prominent. It's everywhere. Hal Lindsey, Tim LaHaye. There is a place in the Bible that says there's a rapture, the taking up of the church, but that's in First Thessalonians 4, and that's when Jesus comes back. But there is no place that says that there's a rapture that takes place seven years before the second coming of Jesus. There's no particular verse. So how do we get there? Well, this verse is one of the verses that's used to show this pre-trib rapture theory. All right. And how does it work? Jesus says, John, come up here. John is supposed to represent the church coming up into heaven. Okay. Now, I don't believe in the pre-trib rapture theory, but I'm going to pretend that I do right now to see if I can present it to you to see where the idea comes from. Before I go there, though, I want you to remember this trumpet. I'm going to call this the trumpet argument. Jesus' voice is like a trumpet. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, I'll read it to you. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. So that's referring to when believers are caught up when Jesus comes back And Paul in Thessalonians says this is going to happen with the trumpet of God. So the pre-trib rapture theory connects this voice of Jesus speaking as a trumpet and the trumpet of God. All right. Now, I would say that's not very persuasive to me. I can't prove it right one way or the other. But I would point out that in Revelation 1.10, we hear another trumpet. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. That's in Revelation 1. So was there a rapture in Revelation 1? Because there's a trumpet voice. Is there a rapture in Revelation 2? Maybe there are two raptures. See, just because there's a trumpet there, that doesn't prove anything. But that's the first argument. Now, the second argument that says that there is not going to be a church during the seven-year tribulation because the church will be raptured up into heaven and just watching what goes on is the fact that In these next several chapters, in fact, all the way through the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, there's no mention of the word church. It's not mentioned. And so the argument goes like this. Well, since the church is not there, it's not mentioned. That's an argument from silence. And as you know, arguments from silence are relatively weak. The the silence has to be deafening before you can use an argument from silence persuasively. But that's the argument. Now, the problem with that argument is not only is the church not mentioned during the tribulation, But you go all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, you get to the alleged millennium or the new heavens and the new earth, and guess what? church is not mentioned there either. So should we say the church is not going to be in the new heavens and the new earth because the church is not mentioned? That wouldn't make sense, would it? Yeah, see, that's an assumption that proves too much. I mean, if you're going to say the word church is not there, therefore the church is not there, well, you could say the same thing about the millennium or or the new heavens or the new earth. Now, just because the church is not mentioned here in these chapters that we're going to go through, the concept of the church is, the word's not there, but the concept is. We'll see that when we get to the throne that God is sitting on and that John's going to see in his vision. He's going to see 24 elders around the throne. Those 24 elders stand for the church, I believe, and we'll see that in just a minute. Now, what is the problem if you believe in this pre-trib rapture theory? John is writing to churches and he's writing to churches that have specific problems. Namely, they're either dead or they're dead orthodox or they're doctrinally lax or they're suffering persecution. He's writing to people who have real problems. And all of a sudden, the whole book of Revelation is taken up with things that are going to happen while they're, if they get raptured, they're up in heaven and all this stuff is going down on earth. So what possible relevance is it to them? Why would John write a book that has no relevance to the people that he's writing to? Yeah, there's no relevance to us either. Well, I don't know, but I know millions of dollars have been spent on books about what happens in this seven-year period written for people like me because I've read a lot of them and spent my good money on them. I mean, and besides, John was not writing to Jewish saints on the earth during the tribulation. He was writing to seven churches in Asia Minor. Well, can you imagine teaching that theory to Chinese Christians in in the Cultural Revolution? I mean, Lee Sheen was born during the Cultural Revolution. She'll tell you some stories of curly hair. I've read books about it. I've talked to people, because I lived in China for so long, talked to people. They went through absolute hell. Every bit as bad as anything that you'll read in the book of Revelation. They weren't jerked out. So, you know, why do we expect some Christians are going to get jerked out of tribulation when actually in history we have Christians who have gone through stuff just as bad? So, any other comments? Yes, sir. Well, if you take after in the future, since it would be after these things 2,000 plus years after, if you take the preterist view, after these things in just a few years, when the seals and the trumpets and the bowls fall on and apostate Jerusalem and destroy it. Theory of, the theory of pre-trib rapture. There was a guy named Darby who was upset with the, uh, the coldness and the lack of spirituality in the Anglican church. And so he's sort of a separatist. And they were having some prayer meetings in some... A uh, little girl named Margaret McDonald started having visions, and she started, told Darby, or Darby heard of these visions. That's basically the preacher of rapture theory. Darby was a very eloquent guy, and he took the theory and developed it into a doctrine, spread all through the Brethren. He started the Brethren movement, and then that developed into dispensationalism, and that's how it came to America. All right, so let's go to verse 2. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, And one sitting on the throne. Now, first of all, let's notice that in the spirit, John is seeing these things in a vision, all right? This is not, when we look at what John saw, we shouldn't say this is exactly what it's going to look like when we get to heaven. Because this is a vision with a bunch of symbols in it, sign. And he saw a throne in heaven. What does a throne stand for, anybody? Authority. Authority, because a king sits on a throne. The throne was standing in heaven and one, capital O, sitting on the throne. And who most probably is this one sitting on the throne? I would say God the Father. God the Father. We know it's God the Father because uh, he's going to, later on in the vision, ask the Lamb, Jesus, to come take the book. So it's two different. So this is God the Father and one sitting on the throne. All right, now. I, last Sunday I mentioned Daniel seven thirteen and seven fourteen. If you're going to study eschatology, you have to know Daniel seven thirteen and fourteen like your own name. Got to know it frontwards and backwards, word for word. All right. Now remember, somebody mentioned the third, the third, the third theme of the dominion. We have a dominion. This is Daniel seven fourteen, Daniel seven thirteen. Jesus goes up to the ancient of days, up to God the Father. And he came up to him on the clouds of heaven, and then, the, and then the Father gave him this. What did God give to Jesus? Dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and tribes should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Now look how many times dominion or kingdom, which means basically the same thing. How many times is it mentioned in this verse? uh f- one, two, three, four, five times in one verse. That goes with the throne because God has dominion and God gave that dominion to Jesus. Now, when we go through the book of Revelation, when we get to the relevant verses, we're gonna see that God has dominion, Jesus has dominion, and guess who else has dominion? You guys, yeah, and me. Yeah, we have dominion too. Shared dominion. Shared authority. All right? Let's move now to Revelation 4.3. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a Sardius in appearance. Some translations have Cornelian, is that right? Cornelian. Uh, And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Now, stones, precious stones, show up several places in the Bible, and I used to be real curious about what the color of each one was. Well, it turns out that nobody knows. You know, they just don't. They got an idea. Jasper, if this is translated correctly from the Greek, is uh, it could be any color, sort of opaque quartz. Sardius is, uh, is a reddish type stone, dark red. Of course, emerald, we know that. That's green, okay? So, and, and what's the purpose of all these stones, these bright colors? It's just to show the glory and majesty of God. It's just for stage effect, that's all. It doesn't have any uh, any prophetic significance at all now let's look at this word rainbow i've got it especially highlighted what does a rainbow symbolize after noah's flood that's right so it showed mercy right god is not he's going to show mercy to his people and it was mercy after what What's what what, what? Right, so it was mercy after judgment. Now, as we go through this, we're going to see that there are symbols of, in fact, all the way through the book, it's a theme. You've got judgment everywhere, but you've also got mercy everywhere. The judgment is on the old Jerusalem, the mercy is on the new Jerusalem. All right, so this is a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Well, let's go on to the next verse. Revelation 4, four. around the throne were 24 thrones. This is around that one throne with, one, with God the Father was sitting on it. There were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Now, thrones, we've already said, symbolizes what? Authority. Now, these 24 elders, there's 24 thrones with 24 elders, so what does that symbolize? What do these little thrones symbolize? 24 24 little rulers, right. You know, they have authority also. What does a crown symbolize? Yeah, a king has a crown on his head, right? Again, another symbol of authority. This is not hard, actually. What are the white garments? What do they symbolize? Purity. All right. Now, who are these 24 elders? Now, the commentators got all kind of ideas. Uh, a lot of them say they're angels and such. Uh, I think that uh, it's representing the people of God, both Old Covenant and New Covenant. And the reason I say that is because of this number 24. Let's go, let's jump ahead to Revelation 21 verses 12 and 14. This is J- John writing about the new Jerusalem. And it, it, it was a big cube that came down out of sky, the sky, if, if you recall. And it had a wall great and high and had 12 gates. Now what did those 12 gates stand for in the new Jerusalem? Twelve tribes, okay? Now, the twelve tribes are, the, are extremely symbolic of the old Israel, right? That's, that's not hard. Twelve tribes. And we all say twelve tribes stands for Israel. All right? So you got the, the four sides of the city. you got three gates on each side and the name of each tribe of Israel on the name of the gate. All right? So there's the old, the old covenant. Now, how about the new covenant? And the wall of the city... At twelve foundations. Now that's a little fuzzy translation there, but it's a little bit confusing. But if you'll think about the foundations of the, of the New Jerusalem, uh, even on all four sides, there's three gates, and then somewhere under those gates are three foundation stones. I don't know exactly how they're placed. You got the names of twelve what apostles. Now, who do the twelve apostles stand for? <laughs> Yeah, so there you go. There's the old covenant people of God and the new covenant people of God. And I'm going to stick with that as we go through. We see that they're doing things that believers in God do. They give praise to God. They cast their thrones down to God. So we're going to assume that these 12, 24 elders are people who are ruling with Christ, with God because they have, they're sitting on the thrones. Now, I told you that the theme in Revelation is God the Father rules, God the Son rules, and Christians rule. Now, I'm going to read you some verses that say that. I don't want you to turn there. Just save time. Just listen to me. Revelation 1:6, And he has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. Made us kings. What do kings do? They sit on thrones and they rule. We are made kings. Revelation 2, 10. This is written to the Smyrna Church. Smyrna Church, be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. So the Smyrnas were supposed to rule, to have dominion. Uh, Revelation three eleven. This is written to the Philadelphia church. Hold that fast which you have, that no man take your crown. So the Philadelphia church was ruling and had a crown. Uh, Revelation chapter two verses twenty six and twenty seven. He that overcomes, that's any Christian that overcomes these persecutions, and keeps my works unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Now, folks, power over the nations does not like sound like somebody that is hunkered down, uh, uh, scared to death about the antichrist and the microchips and the pollution in the air and the and the blighted crops and all you know whatever else the earthquakes, the famines, the great tribulation, all that stuff. The two hundred million man army from China. No, that's not the way the Book of Revelation reads. If you read it, it says we have power over the nations, and then he says. And he, that's Christ, excuse me, not Christ, this is he that overcomes, that's the believer, he shall rule the nations with a rod of iron. Now what does rod of iron mean? A lot of times you read the book of Revelation, you think about a rod of iron as something you beat somebody over the head with, but that's not what it means. A rod of iron was a scepter that a king had, and he's sitting on his throne, so he's sitting on his throne like this, and he has a scepter. And he puts that iron rod down there between his feet, and it means I'm the boss, I'm the king. And so it's another symbol of authority, and guess who, has, guess who will rule the nations with a rod of iron? Jesus, yes, but who else? Us. The meat shall inherit the earth. Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount. Revelation 3.9. Behold, this is to the church at Philadelphia. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. The apostates are going to come down and bow down to the feet of the Philadelphians. And I have no trouble thinking that that, the dominion that the Philadelphians have also belongs to Christians. Revelations 3.21, this is to the church at Laodicea to him that overcomes and that word overcome is from the the Greek word for conquer we get Nike you know alright so the church of Laodicea John says Jesus says if you overcome or if you conquer is another way you can translate that you're going to sit on the throne okay so that's 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 why the book of Revelation is meant to be an encouragement to us we, sh- we shouldn't read the book of Revelation and be afraid my soul my son's mother-in-law, however that is related to me, she sent me an email just in the last month. She's scared to death. Scared to death. Uh, and I gave her all this stuff. I said, you don't need to be scared. All that stuff's already happened. Already happened to the, Jew- <laughs> to the-, to the Jews before eighty seventy. 70. Then it's not, it's not going to happen to you. Something worse might happen with the-, <laughs> with the government we got now. You know, it could be worse. But, <laughs> but this stuff's not going to happen. All right. (laughs) All right, let's move on. Revelation 4, verse 5. Out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. All right, we got throne again. That's the throne where God was sitting on it with all the emeralds, the... He was mainly red, by the way. That sardius is mainly a red color, was flashes of other colors in the green rainbow. So out of that throne came lightning and thunder. What is that symbolic of? Thunder and lightning. This is an easy symbol. What is it? Yeah, it's po- but power can be used in a good way or in a bad way. What kind of power? Yeah, wrath. The po- Judgment. Yeah, Wrath. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. Uh, And this is one of the few symbols that John himself gives us the answer to, which is nice. The seven lamps of fire are the seven spirits of God. Now, all we got to know is who are the seven spirits of God? Remember, I mentioned this last Sunday. What does seven stand for? Completion. Completion. Divine completion. Perfect completion. So this is a divine, divine spirit. That's so the seven spirit stands for what? Holy spirit. Holy spirit. So we got seven lamps of fire uh, that are, that stands for the Holy spirit. Why is the Holy spirit compared to or signified by a lamp of fire or seven lamps of fire? Why? Why lamps of fire? Well, let's just say fire. What's Holy spirit got in common with fire? Pentecost. Pentecost. A fire is, it's not really a, a, it's not solid like this microphone, is it? It's kind of spiritual. spiritual, it's not the word. It's, uh, it's ethereal. Ethereal, thank you. That big word. It's kind of, it's, yeah. It's not solid. It's gaseous. It's not physical. <laughs> it's not physical, right. And fire also does what else? Purifies and consumes, right. So that's what the Holy Spirit does. All right. Let's go now to verse 6. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Okay, a sea of glass. So if you will picture that throne and then you just see as far as you can look, a sea of glass. And think of the glass as being blue in color. The, 20, the four living creatures are in the center and around the throne. Now, it's not exactly clear how that is, but let's say, pretend that this is not the tabernacle. Let's say this is the throne. Those 24 elders could be all the way around the throne. They could be like this, halfway around in a semicircle. I'm just going to assume that they're all the way around. And uh, we have... Four living creatures, one on this side, this side, this side, and this side around the throne. Okay? Now, what are those four living creatures? Well, the commentators speculate till the cows come home on what these creatures are. Some people say angels, some. I'm just going to take that word right there, creatures, and say it's a creature. It's created by God. I don't know what it is, but it's a creature. All right? Now, most of the commentators kind of agree on the. interpretation of who those living creatures are and we'll get to that in just a minute Um, but before I do let's look at, at a passage in Ezekiel 1 and we'll see Ezekiel he has a vision, he's a prophet he's looking up into the throne room of God John is in heaven, remember Jesus said come up here, he's looking down on the throne of God and Ezekiel is looking up and you will see there's a good many parallels, now the parallels are not exact. Every now and then there's something a little different. I wish they were exact. It would be even better, but they're not. So let's read Ezekiel 1 here. And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud, and a fire enfolding itself, and brightness was about it. A fire is red, so this, this uh, out, out of the midst of this fire is very similar to God sitting on the throne with that sardius or cornean color that we mentioned just a minute ago. And out of the midst thereof, as the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire, also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. So there you see a parallel between the two. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Uh, and I'm going to show you, well, I'll tell you right now. I, I left it out to save space, but the four living creatures, each one had a face, and there was a man, an eagle in the back, an ox on one side, and a lion on the other. I forgot there for a minute. So you got these four. Uh, in, in Ezekiel, you' got these f- f- four creatures that have a face that have four different animals, creatures on it, okay? Which is going to be exactly like in Revelation. we'll see in a minute. And the likeness of the firmament upon the heads of the living creature was as the color of a terrible crystal. Remember? There was something like a sea of glass like crystal. And here we have the color of the terrible crystal stretched forth over their heads above. So you see Ezekiel's looking up and he sees this crystal sea above the fire that was coming. John's looking down and he sees a crystal sea. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne, just like the throne in the throne room, as the appearance of a sapphire stone. Sapphire is blue. So Ezekiel's looking up. He looks over this reddish, fiery-looking throne that shows up, and there's blue over the top. John's looking down. He sees a sardius-colored throne, which is red mainly, and he sees the sea of glass all around that throne. He's looking at the same picture except from a different angle. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. And, of course, that's God in the likeness of a man, even though he's a spirit, and he's not actually a man. But he looked that way to Ezekiel. Let's look at the number four before we go to the next verse and try to figure out what these creatures stand for. I said last Sunday there's a few numbers you have to learn. I, I, I left out, I think I mentioned four. I did, I mentioned four. What does four usually stand for? Even in English. How about, how about the four corners of the earth? Now what does that stand for? The entire world. The, yeah, the expanse, the entire world. How about uh, four winds? We, we have that expression, right? The four winds, that means from everywhere on the earth. How about uh, the four directions, north, south, east, and west? We're going to see these four living creatures and they're going to stand for the whole world. All right, The four part of the living creatures. Now, it says that these four living creatures had eyes in front and behind. The eyes show up again in a later verse. And so and we're going to hold that till we get there. Verse 7, Revelation 4. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf. The third creature had the face of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. Just like in Ezekiel 1, each of the creatures had faces that had these four animals on it, or four creatures on it. Well, these are entire creatures, not just a face, and they're the same, lion, calf, man, and eagle. So now the question is Is what in the world does that stand for? The idea is a lion. Do Do lions, where do they operate? Do they operate in the wild, in the forest, or do they operate on farms? Or in cities? Where do they operate? In the wild. So those... That's supposed to represent wild creatures, God's creation, all of God's creation. That's the wild part of it. Calf, or they operate in the forest or on the farms? Uh, On the farms, and uh, they're domesticated, in other words. They're tame. Third creature had the face like that of a man. Men operate in cities mainly. And the fourth creature was like that of a flying eagle. Eagles operate in the sky. So the idea here is that all of God's creation, all of it, no matter what aspect of it, all of it is around the throne. And later we're going to see they're giving praise to God. So they, In fact, let me give you a sneak preview here as we go through and build this picture. We have God sitting here. we got the 24 elders representing the people of God. What are they doing? They're praising God. We'll see it in a minute. They're saying, holy, holy, holy. The four living creatures are praising God. So we got the church, Praising God. We got all of natural creation. Praising God. And we get to chapter 5. I'll show you a verse in chapter 5. All the angels are in the throne room praising God. Everybody's praising God. And by the way, the book of Revelation has more praise songs in it than any other book in the New Testament. I think even in the Old Testament too. It's full of praise. Let's move on now to Revelation 4 verse 8. And the four living creatures, each of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night... They do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God who was and who is and who was to come. All right, God is the Almighty, of course. What does this mean, was and is and is to come? What does that say about God? Yeah, he's eternal. Uh, Li Xin told me a Chinese expression that says the most important thing in China, the most important thing is repeated three times. So... Here we got these four creatures saying, Holy, holy, holy. And again, if the four creatures stand for the creation of God, that means all of creation is saying to God, Holy, holy, holy. Isaiah 6, 1 through 3. Another prophet is seeing into the throne room of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. There's God sitting on a throne. High and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, thus an angel, two angels. Each one had six wings with two. Two wings covered the face, two wings he flew with, and two wings covered the feet. Okay? And one cried into another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. So you see the parallels. You've got four creatures in John's vision saying, Holy, holy, holy. And in Isaiah's vision, you've got two angels crying, Holy, holy, holy. Alright? Now, Let's see if we can come up with some meaning of the six wings. If we go to Isaiah, we see two wings over the face, like this. What do you think that symbolizes? God is too holy. holy. Perfect. God is too holy to look at, all right? What about these two wings in the middle that make the angels fly? How do angels function? What do angels do? What is the function of angels? Yeah, but this is seraphim. It's not angelos. So uh, I'm just using angels because it's an easier word to understand. But angels do the will of God, right? The providential will of God. And so you got angels. But you can fly fast with wings, right? To do the will of God. And again, this is speculation now. This is just... But I think that's pretty good suggestion. And this is... Steve gave me this one this afternoon. The two angels... Uh, the, the, the two wings of the angels' feet... The two wings that the angels had covered their feet. So we got two up, two up here, two up here, and two covering the feet. What do those two that cover the feet, what do they represent? Just i ask you, Steve. Well, a lot of times when people saw God, you tell them to take their shoes off. They're on holy ground, so it might have something to do with yeah, Back but, to that. Yeah. I mean, again, holy, holy, holy. The angel cannot stand on... on, on uh, god's holy ground okay now let's look at this eyes thing not later on in the next chapter we're going to see the lamb of god has seven eyes and there seven is god stands for divine perfection complete vision so jesus has he can see everything he is omniscient okay that's an that's a relatively easy symbol but here the eyes are on the creatures and I had a lot of trouble with that. I looked at six commentaries this afternoon. Only found one that even mentioned it. So let's see if you can come up with an idea of what it means. It's a little hard. What do you think that eyes on the creatures mean? said, gotcha. You can't escape his presence. Yeah. And his what's that word omniscience? Oh, his presence. omniscience, yeah. All right, let's move on to verses nine and eleven. Now, just review here. In my opinion, the 24 elders stand for what? According to Dan Trotter. The, yeah, the old covenant people of God and the new covenant people of God. They're sitting on thrones and they have crowns on their heads. And look what they do. They cast their crowns before God's throne. So that's a relatively easy. Okay, Connie, I'll ask you for this one. Casting your crowns before the throne. That's an easier one. What do you think that stands for if the elders, the the representatives of the people of God, they're taking their crowns and they cast them down and throw them down at the feet of God who is on his throne? Recognizing God's ultimate authority? Yes. Yes. The Old Testament and New Testament people of God, we recognize, even though we have authority and we're going to rule with a rod of iron, the nations, our authority is derived from God's ultimate authority. You know the song that, is, that it uses this phrase, right? Holy, holy, holy. Casting down their golden crowns beneath the glassy sea. Okay. Let me quote it. It says, holy, 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 all the saints adore thee. Casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. Cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee. Who were and art and evermore shall be. So that song came right out of the book of Revelations. All right, so now... We've got the elders praising God and the creatures praising God. And I told you angels were going to join into this uh, chorus. Let's look at, this take a sneak peek in the next chapter, verse 11, chapter 5. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne. That's the throne that God's sitting on. And also the living creatures and of the elders. So now we've got angels, the four living creatures, and the elders. Their number, that's the angels' number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands, in other words, innumerable, just angels everywhere. John sees this. And what are they doing? They're praising. Ladies and gentlemen, we are finished with Revelation 4. I'm going to make a couple of application points here, and then I'm, if you have any questions, you, you can ask. Um, first of all, and I mentioned this already, I'll mention it again. We have dominion with God the Father and Jesus' His Son. We rule with Him. We do not need to be intimidated by the persecuting environment that we live in. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt this country is headed for persecution. I used to say I thought so. I'm convinced of it now. But that doesn't matter. There's a spiritual authority that we have as Christians, and we don't need to be intimidated by the culture that hates us, that demonizes us, that marginalizes us that fires us from jobs, that that shuts our uh, bakeries down if we don't sell to sodomite marriages, uh, people involved in sodomite marriages. We don't have to be intimidated by all that because we rule and we reign with Christ. Second thing is, if all this worship is going on in the throne room of God, what should we be doing? You know, because it, it, it I was studying this today, I think, you know, I used to just get psalm, or get a psalm and say, God, I praise you, and I just read the psalm, you know, and, and or memorize it even better, and just praise him for who he is, what he does. God loves that, and he demands that, actually. And so the book of Revelation gives us a great role model, a, 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 an object lesson, if you will, of what we should be doing as Christians is praising Him constantly, not stopping ever, always, even when things are bad. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. I just praise you, Lord, that that we do have dominion with you, that we one day, the meat will inherit the earth, Lord, and as we walk in our proper authority, which is humble authority, because we're under your authority. I pray, Lord, that we will spread your word across this globe, and that, that your name will be glorified and that pretty soon that every tribe and tongue and people and nation will acknowledge you as Lord and they'll be crying, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we acknowledge you right now as the Lord God Almighty. Holy, Holy, Holy is your name. Thank you, Lord, that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us no matter how bad any kind of persecution gets. You will always be at our side because you care for your children. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow him in complete obedience to his word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with him deepened.